following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. going to need to listen very carefully to this entire message if you're going to understand the import of what I need to share with you. I have a question. Do you identify yourself with the old nature, the old nature of sin, carnality, or do you identify yourself with the new nature? Which is the point of your identity? 
For most of my life, I identified myself with the old man, the old nature, and struggled valiantly against it, always struggling to be more than I was, always wondering why I could not seem to break free of my sin, going back time after time to some wickedness. I didn't want to, but I kept going back to it. My identity was in my old man, in the old nature, in the Adamic nature, in the old man of sin, struggling to be free of that. Imagine my shock when I discovered that that was not the purpose or design of the gospel of Jesus, that I should continue to struggle in sin. Instead, I was to find my identity in the new man, in the new nature, in Jesus, and to be made new entirely, to no longer walk in sin. If I do, I have an advocate with the Father, according to 1 John, but that wasn't to be the normal life. That was to be, if anything, a rare exception. Now, I want to show you today that there is a ditch on both sides. My, my father used to say to me, Raymond, there's always a ditch on both sides of the road. It doesn't matter if you go to the right or to the left. There's still a ditch there. And if you fall into it, you'll get stuck. Well, I want to talk first about the ditch that's on the, on the left-hand side. I want to show you the source of my struggle. Now, this is not easy to talk about because I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to lose confidence in the Word of God. But in all honesty, the way the English Bible has been translated has often been dependent upon the theological belief of the committee or the people who were doing the translating, even the 1911 King James Version. It is not the Bible written by Paul or Jesus or Peter or John. It was translated by men who had a theological bias. And we've got to look at that bias. I'm not going to go into the history today, but I want to just look at the simple Word of God as translated in the NIV and also as it's translated in the New King James Version. They both commit the same error, and it has brought great confusion into the body of Christ. It's brought great sorrow into my heart. And I want to share that with you and and let you see, but you're going to have to get your Bible. You're going to have to follow with me very carefully. This is not going to be a casual scripture. You're going to have to understand this. Colossians, the third chapter. 
since then, since then is after you have been circumcised by Jesus Christ. And your sin has been canceled. The written code against you has been nailed to the cross. Verse 11 of chapter 2. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Literally, it is the stripping away of the old man. Now, we find that again. Paul talks about that in the book of Colossians, and I'll turn there and just read it very quickly for you. It's a very familiar scripture, but hear the import of this. Second chapter of Galatians, beginning with verse 20. I have been crucified. Past tense. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I want you to hear the claim he's making. It's a powerful, fundamental claim of the Christian faith. It is denied today in the majority of American churches. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So Paul is saying, I was crucified with Christ. Now, note, since then you have been raised with Christ. In other words, you have been crucified with Christ, and now you have been resurrected with Christ. You died with Jesus, and you were brought back to life in Jesus. He's saying, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In other words, look, you've been crucified with Christ. Now set your hearts on what's above. In other words, don't go back to the old life. Now, I want to share with you who are the Colossians in Christ. What is their standing in Jesus? Chapter 121. The Colossians are completely reconciled to God. In 123, they are established and firm in their faith in Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 6, they are walking in Jesus. Verse, chapter 2, verse 7, they are firmly established in the faith. Chapter 2, verse 10, they have been made complete in Jesus Christ. Chapter 2, verse 11, complete removal of all moral depravity. That's what Colossians says. Chapter 2, verse 12, they were buried with Christ Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 13, they are made alive with Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 1, they have been raised up with Christ. Chapter 3, verse 5, 
They put to death the sin in their life, in the carnal nature. It's all been put to death. Chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. They used to live in sin, but they don't live in sin anymore. They don't walk in sin anymore. That's what Colossians says. Chapter 3, verse 9. Having already put off the old man with his practices, the church at Colossae identified not with the old man, but with the new, the complete, the holy, without sin. That's what the book of Colossians says about the church at Colossians or Colossae. Chapter 3, verse 10, having already put on the new man. Now, if all of this is true, and I have to take it as the word of truth, remember, we don't go by what our experience is. We go by what the word of God says. The word of God gives us what is normal Christian living, not American Christian living. Now, since we have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ, in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Based on your standing right now, Paul's saying, you're righteous, you're holy. You have crossed over. Now set your minds on the other side. Don't go back. Now, verse 5, I've never understood this. It's caused me such anguish and pain in my heart. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. Now, wait a minute. That translation doesn't make sense to me. The reason it does not make sense to me is I've just shared with you the standing of the church at Colossae in Jesus, that they're no longer walking in sin. If they're no longer walking in sin, why is Paul now saying in this translation, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust. He's saying those things are still dwelling in you according to this translation. And so I always have identified with the old man because the translators of the Scripture believe that you cannot leave your sin. All the way up to this point, the Scripture says you've left your sin. You're walking clean. But now he's telling you to put to death immortality immorality, as though you're living in immorality, as though you're sexually impure, as though you're filled with evil desires and greed, which is, do you see my confusion? 
Do I identify with the old man? And then always work at that and say, look, I can't leave my sin, and so God's just going to have to deal with me the way I am. Or is it a mistranslation? Then we come to verse 7. You used to walk in these ways. Well, wait a minute. Now he's saying, yes, you used to walk in those ways. But verse 5 tells me that I'm still walking and I need to stop all of these things. But I've already stopped all those things. I'm not walking in sexual immorality. I'm not walking in impurity. I'm not walking in lust and evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. I left those things when I followed Jesus. He removed them from me. So my identity is with Jesus and the new creature that he's made of me. Now I want to read for you from another Bible, another translation. And this one is a modern translation, but it's a literal translation. Let me read it for you. I'll go to Colossians 3, verse 5. Accordingly, you did volitionally or voluntarily put to death your members that are upon the earth. Now he's saying, past tense, you already put to death the sexual immorality the uncleanness, the lustful desires, the evil desires, the greed which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. So if you're still walking in those things, you haven't been converted yet. You're still a pagan. Do you see what the issue is? Is your identity in the old man and you believe you're going to fight all the rest of your life against sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustful desires. And so when the temptation gets too big, you're going to give way to it. But don't worry, everybody does, and all you have to do is repent. That's a lie from the pit of hell. But the translation of the modern NIV seems to indicate that that's what's true. Now, please hear me. You've got to have the discernment of the Holy Spirit as you read the Word of God, and you're going to have to do some very careful study. You're going to have to go back and look at the Greek words, and you can do that very easily with the materials that are available on the Internet today. Or you're going to have to buy a a lavender translation, a Bible translation that is literal and not based on the bias of the translators. Verse 6, Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. Okay, so... Verse 5 in the NIV and verse 6 in the NIV 
don't agree with each other. One says, you're living that way now and you have to deal with it. And the other one says, no, you already did that. That because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must rid yourselves. Here it goes again. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. He's speaking to people who are without sin. These people are not walking in anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language. That's not the normal life of the Christian. We've put away our sin. We're not walking in that anymore. We're walking clean before God. The translation that is literal, this is chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 7. Let me read this for you. Colossians 3, verse 7. And verse 8. But now you did also voluntarily put off all these things. Anger, Wrath, ill will, evil speaking, slander, obscene speech out of your mouth. He's saying, in the scripture, it's saying, you already put those things away from you. If they have not put away those things, they are still walking in disobedience before God, and they are not saved. They are still lost. You cannot walk in sin and be saved. To be saved means to be saved from your sin. And it seems in the NIV and in, and I love the New King James Version, and even the old King James Version in the original, has this dissidence in it. And you've got to read and pray and understand that your identity is with the new man and not with the old man of sin. I just read for you out of Colossians, the second chapter, where the old man of sin was stripped off of you. Let me read it in the literal translation. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 in whom you were also circumcised with a circumcision not of human origin by the stripping off of the body of flesh in the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in the baptism with whom you were also raised by faith in the workings of God, and one having raised him from among the dead, and you being dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having shown himself gracious to us with reference to all the trespasses. 
You see, the whole modern church in America believes that you have to identify yourself with the old man, that the old man is always going to be there, that you're always going to be struggling with the old man of sin, and you're going to win sometimes, and you're going to lose much of the time. That's wrong. That's not the gospel. That's the American gospel, which is putrid in the eyes of God. We've been washed in the blood. We've been made holy by Almighty God. That's why it's so vital to ask the question, who do you identify with? Do you identify with the man of sin and and believe that you're always going to be a sinner and that Jesus' grace comes like a blanket and covers over your wickedness so when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see you He sees himself. Or do you believe that you were crucified with Christ and you've been raised with him, that you've been washed clean, that you've been given a new spirit and you are a new man in Christ Jesus or a new woman in Christ Jesus? So which do you identify with? The old or the new. Now, it's painful for me to talk about, but I have to talk about the other side of the ditch, the other side of the road. See, the road is a righteous, holy road. It's spoken of in the Old Testament. There is a road of holiness. And on the left side, you have men and women who identify with the ditch man. And they're always having to be dug out of the ditch. They're always walking in sin. They're always struggling. They're always failing. And the scriptures don't teach that. It is the lie that has almost utterly destroyed the church of Jesus Christ in America. We are made new. We walk without any comprehension of walking in sin. If we begin to sense we're walking in sin, we quickly repent. We are washed and made whole. And we continue down the road. But now let's talk about the ditch on the other side. The ditch on the other side is where a person says, okay, Thank you, Jesus. It's wonderful. I receive this wonderful news that I am made whole in you, Jesus. I receive the wonderful news that my nature has been changed. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. And then they say, I have it all. I don't need anything more. I know people like this. And frankly... They're ugly. And I don't know how to even begin to to speak with them because in their self-righteousness and in their pride, they have all the answers. I go to this passage that we go to so many times in Revelation, the third chapter. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich, 
You say, I have the gospel. I don't, I don't have any known sin in my life. But you don't realize you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. Well, they have faith. They have white clothes to wear. They have righteous actions that they perform. But they've never put the eye salve on their eyes. So they're blind. Let me go back to a scripture that is vital for us to understand. It's found in the book of Matthew. Matthew, the fifth chapter. Jesus opens the Sermon on the Mount with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And of course, that word poor means no ability to help myself, no self-esteem, no self-dependence. See, what has happened, and it happened in the holiness church, especially in the holiness movement, the Wesleyan movement, and many other holiness churches in our day have become very legalistic. They say, I'm not walking in any sin. I'm clean before God. But they're not poor in spirit. They have a list of things that they must do. They must take care of their family. They must read their Bible. They must pray. They must do this and this and this. And if they get all of that done, then they're good to go. And they don't even begin to understand. They become pride, filled with pride. And they become legalistic with their rules and their judgments of other people. There's no compassion in their hearts for other people. And there's no productivity. They have no one they've won to Jesus. Their life is for themselves and for their family. For their own goals and their own objectives. And they believe those are from Jesus. But what puts the lie to their testimony is that they are not fishers of men. They're legalists, filled with pride. So on one side, you have people who identify with the old nature, who are always struggling with sin. They can never quite make it. And they finally throw their hands up and say, Jesus, you're going to have to just accept me the way I am. I can't change. I can't overcome my sin. That person has refused to be crucified with Christ. They've refused to be utterly consecrated to the Lord Jesus. They have their eyes on earthly things. And they have a sense of entitlement. They have a sense that, that God owes them because they're trying to do their best. 
but they can't quite pull it off. And then you have those on the other side who say, I'm perfect. I'm not walking in any known sin. I'm clean before God. But they're filled with pride. They're about their own life. There's not a deep compassion in their hearts. You do something they don't like and they write you off. They're quick to judge. You can do a million things for them. As my dear friends, my brothers in Florida say, you can do a million things for somebody. You can pour your heart out for them. And then one thing that you do wrong, or they say you are wrong, they write you off and they're gone. And you're judged. And you're cast out. Both of those ditches are dreadful. And it's very hard to dig a man or woman out of either side of those of those ditches. But the one on the right is much harder to reach than the one on the left. The one on the left knows that he's in trouble. He knows he's committing sin. He has a guilty conscience. He feels condemned. And the Holy Spirit can work in their heart and bring conviction. And you can show them the good news of the gospel. But the one on the right becomes a Pharisee. And the Pharisee is almost impossible to win back to Jesus because they think they have it all. They think their understanding is so great that everyone else, they say, thank God I'm not like that sinner over there. Thank God I'm not like you. Thank God I don't do like like you do. How do you win that person back to Jesus? Well, Jesus doesn't have very many tools he can use for that person except intense hardship and suffering. And hopefully at some point, that person will humble their heart before God and give up their pride and their self-righteousness. See, it's very clear to me that I don't walk in anger anymore. I don't walk in bitterness of spirit anymore. I don't walk in judgment anymore. None of that is me. All of that is Jesus. I don't have anything to be proud of because I know from whence I came. And I know it was only the mercy and the grace and the kindness of the Lord Jesus that pulled me out of that wicked place. I know that all that I am has come from his hand. And now in Colossians, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy, dearly loved, if you're holy, you're not walking in sin. You've been washed and made clean. He says, Clothe yourselves with compassion. Love covers over many sins and many mistakes. He's saying, 
You're a new creature in Christ. Now get dressed. And the garments that you're to wear are the garment of compassion, of kindness, humility. It's so easy to become arrogant and proud if we think we're not walking in any sin. I'll be honest, straight up with you. I'm not walking in any known sin in my life. Jesus has given me victory. On my left and on my right, he's given me victory. But I know it's not my victory. I know I could never have done that in my life. I know it is the victory of Jesus Christ. And I give to Jesus all honor and glory and praise. And I recognize that it's only the poor in spirit who will inherit the kingdom of God. It's only the humble who will inherit the kingdom of God. Gentleness. Patience. Verse 13. This is Colossians 3, verse 13. Bear with each other. You know, we're going to all say things we shouldn't say. We're going to all make mistakes. Bear with each other. It's important that we recognize that it's only in humility, not in arrogance, not calling people names, not making judgments. Humility. I'm not the judge. I'm not the decider and the keeper of the right and the wrong. It's not for me to tell you, you can't wear those clothes, or you can't do this, or you can't do that. If you're dressed immorally, I will tell you, please don't come into church with your with your body molded in clothing or uncovered in an ungodly way. If there are moral issues, we have to address those. But please understand, I'm not the keeper. Jesus is, the Word of God is. Forgive whatever grievances you may have one against another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. Put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Oh, my brother, my sister. If you want the peace of God to rule in your heart, you can't be on the left side or the right side. You've got to be right in the middle of the road of holiness, and you've got to be humble of heart. And if you've been made holy, don't lie and renounce the cross of Jesus and say, no, I'm still the old nature. Now, we need to add one more thing very quickly. I can't go into it in depth. I will later. 
Most people, when they are converted, when they come to Jesus Christ, that's the end of their life of sin. But they still are struggling with the old nature. Now, Wesley called this the second touch, the second work of grace. This is not a question of walking in sin. It's a question of identity with the old man and struggling with that old man until, as Wesley put it, the crisis comes and you are so sick of struggling with that old man, you come to Jesus and say, Lord, would you just strip that off one time, finally, completely? Now, you take a a godly man um, like Charles Finney. He was converted. The old man was stripped off. And he was baptized in the Holy Spirit in power. Not just sealed in the Holy Spirit, but he was baptized in Pentecost power. And it happened over a period of maybe 12 to 15 hours. Now, Wesley said that can happen. But in his experience, and I have to add that in my experience, a person comes to Jesus and they're transformed. They're made new in their heart, in their life. They stop sinning, they're changed. But it's going to take some time for them to grow up enough in their faith in Jesus to say, look, this old man is still bothering me. And I just read this morning other theologians who are saying, you're always going to deal with that old man. No, you're not. I don't deal with the old man in my heart anymore. The devil still comes and tempts me and tries me. But I'm not struggling with inner sin. It's exterior to my heart. That's only by the grace of God. It's not me. It's not what I've done. It's what Jesus did. And I tell you what, there are two things that are absolutely ugly to me. But there is one thing that is not as ugly as the other. A sinner man struggling with their sin, seeking Jesus, seeking deliverance, that's not nearly as ugly as the one on the other side who says, I'm not sinning, you're sinning. Judging without compassion, without mercy, without love. Walking in pride, claiming a position of righteousness in the gospel, but overlaid with pride. That is the ugliest thing I've ever seen in the church. And believe me, after 50 years of ministry in the church, I've seen it just about all. I've seen churches divide and splinter and splatter and end because of righteous people 
claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ, who judge one another, who accuse the others of sinning, who accuse the pastor of not doing his duty. I had a woman. She was the leader of my worship team. And after several months in that position, she came to me, and she had a notebook, and she had page after page of accusation against me. I finally threw up my hands. I said, I'm so sorry, my sister. It's obvious to me that you need to go to another church, that this is not the church for you. And she claimed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. She claimed to live without sin. She claimed to be righteous. But her heart was so ugly, so filled with her own self-righteousness, that I asked her to leave the church. It broke my heart. Most of the sorrow that I've experienced in the church has been what what one person euphemistically called sheep bites. The sheep biting each other. That happens when you have people who call themselves Christians. But their hearts are filled with pride. So today, chapter 3, verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, not in, not in your self-righteousness. but in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, Work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And there is no favoritism. Whether you're on the left or the right... If your heart is not overflowing with humility and compassion and love, on the day of the judgment you will be brought forth for judgment. 
and remember what Jesus said over here in in Matthew. I'm going to turn. You've heard it many times, but I want you to hear it in light of this passage of Scripture that I'm sharing with you out of Galatians. In Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, listen to this with new ears. This is Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. but only he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. In other words, if you're still walking in sin, you're going to come to that time and say, but Jesus, you don't see me. You just see yourself. And he's going to say, did you do the will of my Father? You're going to say, I couldn't do it, but Jesus, you did it for me. He'll say, depart from me, you evildoer, I don't know you. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Lord, didn't we give large offerings? Lord, didn't we, didn't we lead our family? Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? That's over here on the right filled with pride and arrogance, no compassion, no humility. I'm right, you're wrong. And he will say to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's where we're at. You need to be entirely sanctified. You need the old man utterly stripped off of your life and to be made whole. And that happens in the same way you were converted to Jesus. It happens by the mighty power of the blood of Jesus where you finally say, I've not gone far enough with Jesus. This thing has to be finished. And I'm going to pray and fast and wait on God until he fills my heart with humility and love and compassion for others until the old nature, the old temptation to revert is utterly taken away from me, and I am finally complete in Jesus Christ. Wesley called that entire sanctification. He called it the high road. The low road he spoke of was when you are converted, and you no longer walk in any known sin. The high road is when you are finally, utterly, totally, completely set free to give your whole time and energy in compassion and mercy for the salvation of others. So, again, I'm going to ask you today, who do you identify with? Do you identify with the old man 
Do you identify with the legalist? Or do you identify with Jesus? Well, we're out of time for today's broadcast. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you to those of you who have contacted us, who have sent wonderful letters and gifts and offerings, and some of you have written and said, Pastor, I'm sorry, this month I've had such heavy expenses, I just can't give as much as I normally do. You know what, I just prayed for you and lifted you up, my dear sister who wrote that, and a dear brother who wrote that. Give as the Holy Spirit prompts you, and he'll multiply that. So write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or you can go to our webpage and give online at nationalprayerchapel.com. Click on the upper right-hand corner, and you can give online. I have to tell you, my brother, my sister, I love you with all my heart. I'm so desirous that you be walking clean in Jesus, sanctified and made whole, entirely sanctified, used by God to win the lost and the dying. Oh, my brother, my sister, let's pray for a spirit of prayer and supplication. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Joy.